episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. And boy, am I fired up tonight. What a great, great, great show we got planned for you this evening. In 15 minutes from now, we're going to have a very special guest. He is the grandson of Harry Carey. He is the son of Skip Carey. We will have Chip Carey from Fox Sports joining us live. That's correct. The broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves in about 15 minutes. Now, we want to go ahead and start off some the show today with some news from Major League Baseball. You know Major League Baseball is on its way back. Get fired up. There was a trade today. That's right. There was a trade. Earlier today, um, the Oakland A's and the Padres made a trade. The Padres acquired speedy infielder. Jorge Mateo from the A's for a play to be named later. So the Padres did acquire Jorge Mateo. Now, if you haven't heard yet, some sad, sad news in Major League, well, in baseball altogether, is that the minor league baseball season has been officially canceled uh, as of today. So it is no longer unofficial, it is official, and, you know, what a sad, sad news for minor league baseball. All those cities that love minor league baseball, that rely on minor league baseball, and a lot of those cities and states without major league teams, like in Arkansas, for example, and some other states. But, um, you know, 500 minor league players today have lost their job for the year. Yes, there will be a 2021 season as of now, but all those players, 500 players, will not get a salary this year uh, due to the fact that minor league baseball was canceled. And, you know, the CEO, Pat O'Connor, and he's also the president of minor league baseball, said that they're treading water right now. I mean, they're just floating right now. They don't know how they're going to make this back financially. They're saying that it possibly could take up to three years of them to financially make that money back um, in minor league baseball. So just some sad, sad news. Um, you know, some teams are going to need the ability to survive. They may have to, you know, go ahead out there and find a way. Because remember, these Major League Baseball teams do not own the minor league teams. They have their own individual owners. So a lot of these teams, it's going to be real scary over the next 12 months to see how they go about surviving. So just sad, sad news. Now yesterday, I told you I wanted to talk about a subject and we didn't get to the subject because our great, great interview with Mark Leiter went a little longer than I had expected. But there was no way I was going to stop it. It was a great interview. If you didn't get to see that interview last night, please go ahead and back and watch that. We had a record number of views last night on our show. Just an incredible outpouring. I want to thank you all so very, very much for joining in. And I'd like you all to do me a favor if you can. And I ask this on every single show. And I see lots and hundreds and hundreds of people coming on right now at this time to view this show. Do me one favor. It takes one second. Just go ahead to the button on the bottom of your timeline that says 
share and share this to your timeline. You'd be doing me a big, big, big favor. By sharing it to your timeline, it gives everybody the same opportunity to go ahead and watch this show just like you. So I want you to please go ahead and do that. We have a very interactive show. I left the phone number that after the interview, if you want to call and ask any sports-related question, whether it's baseball, football, hockey, basketball, and so on, you can go ahead and do that. And let me know you're here. Leave a quick message. You know, last night people were leaving comments all over the place. I'm here, you know, and I really, really love seeing the interaction and letting people know that you are on the air. Now, we said we were going to talk about Cam Newton and him signing with the New England Patriots. So let's get into that right now. Last, you know, a couple days ago, Cam Newton became a member, a one-year deal, $7.5 million. And I'm going to tell you something. We talked briefly on this yesterday, but Bill Belichick is in a very, very big year for him because this is the first time he doesn't have Tom Brady as his quarterback. And, you know, except, I mean, when he's been with the Patriots anyway. So, you know, this is going to be a real tough test, and he does not want it being thought that Tom Brady is the reason why the Patriots won all those years. He wants to prove that it's him. So he goes out, he gets Cam Newton, and I told you there was somebody they were going to try to get. I didn't know if they would go after Cam Newton. Like I said in previous shows, I thought they should have went after Winston. But nevertheless, they go after Cam Newton, $7.5 million deal, dollar deal, and then you get you know, Richard Sherman coming out complaining about the salary that Cam Newton's, you know, making. You know, you know, in my eyes, it's none of his damn business what Cam Newton is making. None of his damn business. And what really bothers me about this situation is you got to remember this. Cam Newton couldn't even throw a ball a couple of years ago because of his, you know, injured shoulder. Then last year he had the foot injury. He needed surgery. So in the last two years, Cam Newton has had shoulder surgery and he has had, an, you know, a foot surgery. So... You know, what people don't realize is this is an opportunity for Cam, a one-year deal, to prove what he's got left in the tank. So after next year, he has the ability, if he has a really good year, to go ahead and re-sign with the Patriots, or he can go ahead and possibly sign on with another team at a bigger salary. So Richard Sherman doesn't know what the hell he is saying. You know, this is a time Richard Sherman should just shut up and he should just worry about what he's making. Don't worry about what everybody else is making. And I'm telling you right now, they did not bring Cam Newton in so he can sit behind Jared Stidham. I know a lot of people are telling me, well, Larry, is new, you know, who's going to start? Stidham's going to be the starter and Cam's going to be the backup at $7.5 million. You know, for a backup quarterback, $7.5 million is not terrible. Okay, let me tell you that first. But second of all, like I said, he gets an opportunity to prove himself, and should he win this battle, and I think, I honestly think that, you know, this move right here by Belichick tells you that he's not 100% confident in Stidham. And I know a lot of people say, well, he's been talking highly of him, he loves the guy, thinks he has a bright future. That might be true. But he is not 100% 
satisfied with this kid, especially with the inability to have, you know, OTAs and these practices that you have, it doesn't give him as much time. So I think they bring Newton in as a, you know, he's a veteran. He's won before. He knows, uh, you know, he knows the league inside out. And I think, you know, if Newton comes into camp, shows he can throw the ball, shows he still has the versatility to run with the ball, he could be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And that's not saying Stidham's done or nothing like that. And then they got Brian Hoyer, 11-year veteran, you know, that is also back there. So, like I said, if they were comfortable with Stidham, they had their backup in Hoyer, they would have never brought Cam Newton in. Belichick's got to win. He looks like a fool if he loses and Tampa Bay wins because now Brady can say, it was me over there in New England. That was the reason they were winning, not Belichick. And Belichick, on the other hand, wants to say, see, we don't need Tom Brady. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That division is not as easy as everybody thinks at AFC East. I mean, you got the Jets who are getting better. You know, Donald, you know, maybe now with Newton, it's not so much. But he would have been the best quarterback in that league. Not saying much for quarterbacks in that AFC East. You know, I think the Bills, you know, a lot of people are talking the Bills are real good. They got Allen. They had a great year last year. I want to see the Bills do it again before I'm confident that the Bills are a team to be reckoned with. They are favored to win that division, or what favored to win that division. I don't think Newton's enough. He doesn't have any weapons there in New England, okay, where Brady comes over to the Buccaneers and he has the best receiving core in professional football. So a lot to be said there, you know, Cam Newton probably, if he is healthy, if he has mobility with the arm, if he has versatility with the leg, will probably be that starting quarterback. Don't be surprised in New England if Cam Newton is your starter, if he is healthy. Now, for those of you watching, I we got an unbelievable week planned ahead. We're about four minutes away from Aaron. Chip Carey on tonight. The great Chip Carey. He does TV and radio for the Atlanta Braves. He works with Fox Sports. He works with Southeastern uh, Conference Basketball. Just an incredible, incredible guy. Will be joining us in about four minutes. Then tomorrow night, we move over to my buddies right here, guys, on Crew Life. We will be exclusively on Crew Life tomorrow. Make sure you remember, if not, go to Crew Life. We'll ask my buddy Rob Thompson to go ahead and leave a link for you, and you can watch our show tomorrow night. We have the great radio host of WDAE, Pat Donovan. That's right, Pat Donovan will be joining us tomorrow night on our Buccaneer Wednesday on Crew Life when we do Frankly Speaking Sports. Then it keeps getting greater and greater and greater. I cannot believe the guests we have Thursday night. We did not announce this last night, but we're going to announce Thursday and Friday right now for you. On Thursday, on this 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, and we tip our hat to the Negro Leagues and the anniversary, 100th anniversary, we will have Thursday night Bob Kendrick. If you don't know who Bob Kendrick is, he is the president 
of the Negro Leagues Museum. That is correct. And what an honor to have him on the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues joining us live Thursday night on Frankly Speaking Sports. A must, must see episode. We're going to go back. We're going to talk about great Negro League players like Monty Irvin, Satchel Paige, um, you know, Jackie Robinson, um, you know, all these great, great, great players. Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, who also did time in the Negro Leagues. So that's Thursday night. Then on Friday night, for all you Tampa Bay Rays fans, we're getting you fired up for the season. That's right. We're going to have the great Neil Solons will be joining us live this Friday night right here on Frankly Speaking Sports. The guests are incredible. I love it, baby. I love it. I'm so fired up. We got Buccaneer Wednesday tomorrow with Pat Donovan. We got Bob Kendrick from the Negro Leagues Museum Thursday night. And then Friday night from the Tampa Bay Rays, Neil Solons. So what great, great shows we have for you coming up this week. And then in about a minute, we have the great Chip Carey of the Atlanta Braves. We are about 30 seconds away from getting Chip on the phone. I get a little excited. You know, I got to have a little water. Nourish me a little bit. Well, let's go ahead and get our good buddy Chip Carey on the phone. speaking sports we really appreciate it happy to help you happy to help you now you know tell our listeners um chip about the past couple of months i mean it's obviously for you it's probably been one of the most different you know uh couple of months in your entire career broadcasting tell us about it and how is it different for you without any sports oh we're not working we're not getting paid that's that's quite a change um Uh, quite obviously, all of us who love baseball and uh, uh, love the sport and love watching the players do what they do, uh, we were real disappointed with the way the negotiations between the players and owners took place after the game was shut down. And look, we understand the necessity of that because of coronavirus and all the precautions that needed to be taken because of what we didn't know then. Uh, but again, my personal opinion is that uh, the owners and players uh, picked the wrong time to have the wrong fight. And... Uh, the unnecessary mudslinging back and forth during a pandemic in a time when 40 million people are unemployed and 100,000 of our fellow citizens are dying and people are losing businesses. Uh, players and owners arguing over numbers of baseball games to be played and the opportunity to help our country feel normal again was just uh, was wrong on just about every level from my personal opinion. But that said, 
Uh, do they drag themselves across a mile of broken glass and barbed wire? They got to the finish line. We've got a 60-game season that's going to start in about three weeks. And uh, for those of us who, again, love the sport and need the sport for our mental health and for our livelihoods, uh, we're all excited to get back to work and talk about the game and not the economics of the game. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Chip. I know you come from, obviously, a legendary family where your grandfather was the great Harry Carey, your dad was the great Skip Carey. Did you ever feel when you went into broadcasting that you had more pressure on you because of who you are? Early on, I think so, yeah. There, there's some of that. Um, look, it's an easy word to throw around, nepotism, right? I mean, uh, you know, Joe Buck's dealt with that, Tommy Brenneman, Kenny Albert, uh, Todd Callis, I've dealt with it too. And it's sort of a, uh, a cheap way out. Uh, look, I, I didn't have a choice to whom I was born, so, uh, you know, that that's sort of uh, one of those deals. But ultimately, uh, our jobs are no different than a family who uh, has a plumbing company or a lawyer firm or a doctor's uh, office that, uh, the father or the grandfather and the grandson all follow in those footsteps and do the job. Ours just happens to be on TV and it happens to be doing sports. Uh, and those opportunities, I think, are presented uh, in such a way that, yeah, we have a chance and maybe a leg up on a lot of people, but it's a performance-driven industry. If you don't perform and do well, no matter your last name, you're going to be out of a job. And so in the early days of my career, before I found my own voice, before I found my own footing, uh, yeah, I always wondered about the standard and living up to uh, what those two who preceded me had done. And the fact they were on national TV every day certainly didn't help in that regard. But uh, they were really, really smart and told me to be myself. And I think that was great advice. And it's the advice I'd give any young broadcaster today. Don't try to be a cheap imitation of Skip Carey, Chip Carey, Vin Scully, or Jack Buck. Be the best you you can be. And I believe truly that the audience will either accept you or not accept you based upon your own merit or demerits. And that's the important thing. Be yourself. Uh, go down swinging by being you, not something else or, someone, or something someone else wants you to be. And uh, I'm grateful that uh, I was able to get over that. I was grateful that, I, again, as I said, found my own voice, my own way of doing things. And I think people, by and large, uh, have accepted me warts and all because I'm very honest about what I am and what I'm not. So let me ask you this. In the days when your grandfather and your father did it, I mean, you know, you and I are about the same age. We didn't have all these different platforms that we could watch games on, like MLB Extra Innings and MLB Network and so on and so on. I mean, the only, the two major cable channels were WGN, which Harry was on, and WTBS, which your dad was on. Um, do you think it's tough for today to be recognized as a broadcaster because of all the different platforms when back then they were so noticeable because basically, you know, me and my brother used to have a joke. It wasn't whether we were watching the Braves or the Cubs. It was which carry were we going to watch today? <laughs> yeah, we're kind of like a virus. We've got you surrounded. Um, I think it depends on what your definition is. If your definition is to get on the air and be a broadcaster, I think it's never been easier. Uh, because you can be your own channel. Uh, you can go on Facebook Live. I mean, you're doing your own podcast right now. You are your own broadcast entity. You don't need to have an FCC license or work for a station or be employed by a team per se to get on the air and have your opinion and your voice heard and have guests and do all of that. Uh, as far as the broadcasting for a team is concerned, I think it's, it's become very corporate uh, and for good reason in some respects. I think it'd be very hard for a team to hire someone like my dad or my grandfather and their broadcasting style today uh, because they were so outspoken. 
they never broadcast the game for the uh, uh, front office people or for the players. They broadcast the game for the fans, and I think that's very, very hard to do now. There is a, a definite homogenization of the look of the broadcast. Uh, they look the same. In many cases, they sound the same, and I think that's what makes our broadcast so unique is it is somewhat different uh, with Jeff Francoeur and I. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, for young guys and gals today, and I emphasize women, there's no better time to be in broadcasting right now. Uh, the world is your oyster, especially for, for talented women uh, in our game. Uh, we're seeing glass ceilings broken all over the sports landscaping world, both on the air, uh, behind the scenes. Uh, in our region, we're very proud of the fact that we have two, two very, very talented women uh, who are the lead producers for two of the major properties on our on our uh, regional sports network. Uh, Jill Gossard-Cook is uh, the lead producer for the Atlanta Hawks, and Gretchen Caney is starting her first year as the lead producer for our Braves broadcast. So uh, I don't think of it as hard. I just think if you're talented and you're good and you're able to, as I said, find your own voice and be yourself, if you have talent, somebody's going to find you, and the more talent you have, then obviously the quicker you rise up the uh, the ladder, so to speak. So, Chip, oh, we're talking to Chip Carey, uh... Uh, the broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves for Fox Sports South East and for Fox Sports South. Let me ask you this, uh, Chip. You've done both radio and both TV. Why don't you tell our listeners, because first of all, one of the questions is going to be, which one do you prefer, if either? And then, how is the preparation different from being on radio, what you do, to being on television? Well, I don't do a whole lot of radio anymore. Uh, our broadcast is, is split up between the TV and radio side. In the old days, in the TBS days, we all did radio and TV, which was a blast. I'll answer the question this way. I love the paycheck on TV, and I love the creativity on radio. And the reason I say that is, obviously, TV pays the freight. That's, why, that's how people are going to see these games, because they can't really go in person, at least to start, I would think, uh, when we get back cranked up at the end of July. Uh, the fun thing about radio is you don't have a producer in your head telling you to read a promo or look at this graphic. Uh, you have to paint a complete and total canvas with your vocabulary. Uh, and the really great ones are able to do that. And uh, there's, again, there's nothing between your audience and you other than a microphone. You are the, you are the uh, eyes and ears on the radio side. TV, you have the luxury of having the picture. Uh, it's a visual medium. And so the challenge in television as opposed to radio is very simple. In TV, we all talk too much, no matter how we try uh, not to be too wordy, because the pictures are there. On radio, you can't talk too much. And that's, the, I think, what makes it such a fun and interesting challenge, doing, doing radio especially, because, as you can tell, I can answer questions, and I'm a pretty verbal person, and I love that ability to use the language as an instrument. On television, you don't really have that ability as much, because I don't need to say the grass is green and the sky is blue and it's a sellout crowd. People can see that. And knowing when not to talk on TV, I think for young broadcasters especially, is the biggest challenge. And um, it has its own set of, of, of great uh, uh, benefits as well. Like if you go into business and you want to be popular and be famous, well, first you're doing it for the wrong reason. But I guess inherently people recognize you more if that's important. And like you said with Skip and Harry, uh, they became faces of the franchise because of their work on TV. That's how people really watch baseball now, uh, or, or should say absorb baseball now, as opposed to radio back in the 40s and 50s when Harry and Jack Buck were at their peak on Camel X Radio in St. Louis. Now, we talked earlier about baseball coming back, and you talked briefly on it anyway. Um, 
Let me ask you this from a broadcaster's perspective, somebody who covers the game like yourself, how concerned are you personally from a health perspective being around that environment or going back to that environment with COVID-19 still being out there? Not at all. I am not at all worried about it. Uh, cases are the worst possible way to uh, judge the severity of an outbreak because of the, the millions of different ways that those numbers can be interpreted. Uh, there's a guy I follow on Facebook, and I'd encourage your listeners to look him up. His name is Douglas G. Frank. Uh, he will break it all down for you. Uh, his thesis is that numerically and mathematically speaking, uh, the worst of this is over. We're still putting out fires in hot spots. By and large, these cases are going to young people right now. Uh, the outbreaks that you're seeing, so to speak, and the young people, statistically speaking, worldwide, are not going to suffer from this disease, by and large, which I believe. Uh, who has the, you know, what are baseball players? By and large, they're young with great, strong, healthy immune systems. Knock on wood, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. We've avoided it. Uh, I'm not at all worried about it. I refuse to live my life in fear of a virus. Uh, it's going to be with us for a while. We're going to have to learn to live with it, in my opinion, as a society. And we can't shut down the economy and shut down the world because we're afraid of getting sick. Uh, people are going to get sick, no matter what your intentions are. It's right. how you go about avoiding it and avoiding the uh, exposure to yourself and other people. Look, protect old people. We have uh, in-laws uh, that live across the street from us that are in their 80s. We're very concerned about them. And they are isolated, and that's what we should be doing, in my opinion. Uh, so from a baseball standpoint, the players, I believe, are going to be as well taken care of medically, uh, scientifically, testing-wise, as can be possible. Uh, there is inherent risk in life. There's inherent risk in everything. And, uh, you know, you can get hit by a bus walking across the street to go to the ballpark. And uh, personally speaking, to answer your question, I am not afraid at all. I am not concerned at all. Uh, I wish we'd been playing two months ago. I understand why we weren't, personally speaking. Uh, and that's why, again, I can't wait to get back. And I hope that uh, cooler heads will prevail and we'll get all 60 regular season games in and have a long, productive postseason as well. We are talking to the great Chip Carey. Chip, let's talk something that you love to talk about, the Atlanta Braves. I yeah. mean, they, they won 97 games, won the NL East last year. Now, like you just said, it's a 60-game season. In a shortened season, how do you think this team fares? I think they're uh, set up to be a really, really uh, an advantageous position. Uh, they have a very deep starting rotation. Remember, at the beginning of the year, Cole Hamels was hurt with a sore shoulder. He's healthy. Right. Felix Hernandez has had more time to recuperate. He was pitching great in the spring. You already have Mike Soroka and Max Fried in rotation, Mike Fultonevich, and then guys like guys like Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson and others, Ian Anderson, uh, all of those youngsters that have seen some time in the big leagues are on the cusp of getting to the big leagues. They're going to be percolating around in case someone goes down. Where Alex Anthopoulos uh, did his best work was adding to his bullpen. Now, the bullpens are going to be hugely important in the first weeks of the season because the starters, in all likelihood, aren't going to go more than three or four innings the first couple of times out. So to have a deep and uh, balanced bullpen is going to be a huge advantage. And the Braves' bullpen after the trading deadline was one of the best in baseball. They added Will Smith, former Giants closer, to a free agent contract. He's an Atlanta kid. So he joins Luke Jackson and Mark Melanson and maybe Sean Newcomb uh, and Tuki Toussaint and others uh, down there to form a really, really deep and potent bullpen that gives Brian Sitker a ton of mix-and-match opportunities should he so desire to play the game that way. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, 
I think the Braves will benefit from the designated hitter. Uh, they can use Marcelo Zuna as a DH or Austin Riley or Johan Camargo. I believe Nick Markakis has opted out of playing. That came down a, a day or so ago. So he will not be on the sixty uh, on the sixty game roster for the regular season for Atlanta. But that said, I think the Braves like their chances. They've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Acuna. They've got Albies. I mean, they've got all the tools, all the weapons to, to have a great year. You just can't start slowly. And if you start like the Washington Nationals did and go nineteen and thirty one, you're going to be sitting home looking forward to football season. So uh, I like the Braves' chances. I'm not speaking that way as a homer. It's a good team. They know they're good. They've got a window of three or four years to do a lot of damage and a lot of good things. And quite frankly, they're overdue to win a playoff series. They haven't done that since 2001. So I think this is the year for Atlanta and a lot of other teams to have a very, very interesting uh, regular season. And obviously the tournament and postseason could be a lot of fun. Now let me ask you this. How special is this young kid, Ronald Acuna Jr.? Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. Uh, you know, he's 20, 21 years old. He almost had a 40-40 season last year. I think he's just going to get better and better and better. He knows how to play. He wants to do the right thing. Sure, he's had some lapses, and he's done some stupid stuff on the field. To a certain degree, okay, you chalk that up to youthful inexperience and all of that. Uh, but I think he's, he's playing for the right manager who uh, understands how to relate to everybody. Brian Snitker is really the glue and the architect and the guy that's really helped foster this environment I was speaking of, a great clubhouse. Burger. The guys really do pull together for the common good, and they police each other, so Brian doesn't have to do it. Uh, these guys love playing for him. He's an unbelievable communicator. He's a, a brave lifer. Uh, I mean, you talk about a guy that's a disciple of Bobby Cox. He is it. Uh, and so his ability to teach and talk to Ronald Acuna Jr., not just as an American speaking to a kid from Venezuela, but almost like a father or grandfather to try to get him to understand how good he is and how good he can be and how good he needs to be for this team to go. And I think those messages have been delivered loud and clear, not just by Brian, but his staff and uh, Ronald's teammates. And I think even in a 60-game season, you're going to see eye-popping numbers from Ronald Acuna, who's on his way to being the Mike Trout of the National League, which is great for all of us. Yeah, and I was just going to ask you about Marcelo Zuna. You know, during the offseason, yes, you lose Josh uh, Donaldson. You got Marcelo Zuna, obviously. And you added a guy that I got to watch all year last year down in Tampa in uh, Travis Darno. I mean, those two guys are going to play a major role on this team. Yeah, Darno's going to catch uh, a lot. I mean, the Braves have split the catching duties with Tyler Flowers each of the last two, three years, so that'll probably be the same. So they'll catch 30, you know, Travis will probably catch 30, 35 games or so with Tyler uh, alongside and harness back behind the plate. Uh, Ozuna, you know, look, he's he's not a great defender, but he can hit. And uh, the Braves are counting on him doing that. I, I think, again, the, the luxury that Brian Snicker has is he can put his best defensive team out there or his best offensive team or a combination of those two very important metrics, whichever uh, opponent he's facing. And so uh, with the DH coming to the National League this year, Ozuna's got a chance over 60 games to sit back and mash, and uh, uh, that's what they want him to do. Hit homers, drive in runs, and protect Freddie Freeman. Uh, Donaldson did that exceptionally well last year. Uh, I think uh, the Braves feel very confident that Ozuna will be able to do the same this year. And uh, Darno chipping in behind plate with, again, Albies and Freeman and Acuna and all the others, uh, and maybe even a resurgent Ender Enciarte in center field. Uh, I don't think there are very many concerns at all about the Braves' offense, even though they lost Josh Donaldson to free agency. You know, do you see Felix Hernandez making this team? 
Uh, the way he pitched in spring training, I think he had the inside track to the fifth starter's job. Uh, I would guess, uh, again, the luxury the Braves have is with a 30-man taxi squad and a 30-man roster, uh, they can manipulate uh, their, their uh, playing uh, group as much as they want. Uh, but with veteran guys who have a lot of mileage on their arms, uh, they know how to pitch. Uh, Cole Hamels and Felix Hernandez. I mean, this is still a pretty young staff, even with uh, the long uh, playoff experiences of Mike fulton and company. Uh, but these guys know when they hit the ground, they're going to be hit the ground full speed. And every pitch is going to be three times as important because we're playing roughly the th- a third of the number of games. Guys that have pitched in important games, important innings, I think are going to be extremely valuable. And I think the Braves like the fact that they have some playoff-tested guys on this rotation. And Cole Hamels, certainly, who's been an MVP in postseason play, Felix Hernandez, who uh, you know pitched in relative anonymity in Seattle, knows how to be a big game pitcher. Um, along with Mike Soroka, Max Fried, and Fulton Evich, and Newcomb and others, uh, yeah, I think they they feel pretty good about uh, what Felix did. They feel pretty good about their whole staff. I think they feel very good, especially about their bullpen too. And you know, you, you got to think with this kind of attitude, and I know you'll understand this. Usually, when you get to actually the time of year they'll be starting. You know, you start thinking about, you know, do you need another arm? Um, you know, these guys, they've used up innings. Now these pitchers in the month of September and those teams that make the playoffs, these pitchers are going to be stronger as they've ever been during those months because they haven't pitched earlier on in the year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it'll be interesting to see how that how the playoffs are pitched differently. You know, you think about guys like Kershaw or Scherzer or Garrett Cole, or DeGrom, should they make it. How fresh those guys are going to be in postseason play when the weather's a little colder. Uh, but, you know, the bats are going to be pretty fresh, too. So I think we might see maybe the best playoff baseball, assuming we get yeah. that we've seen in a long time, because guys are going to be chomping at the pit. We're going to have, uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, 10 teams making the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be a crazy shootout, and I think it's going to be exciting. I think the one thing that I was most disappointed about out of the labor negotiations was no expanded playoffs. Getting more teams, more towns excited and into postseason play where you have almost an NCAA tournament-like feel to it, I think would have brought a freshness and a uniqueness that's been uh, overdue in the sport. Uh, but look, we didn't have a say in those uh, <laughs> in those outcomes, so we'll, we'll settle for, if that's the right term, what we get. And uh, if the Braves are fortunate enough to earn their way into postseason play... I said, I like their chances of advancing, and I like their chances to win the whole thing. Now, a couple more questions before we let you go, Chip. Their division is not as easy as everyone thinks. I mean, you got, obviously, the Nationals, you know, who won the World Series. You have the Phillies, now Joe Girardi's there. You know, Hop has been there. And, you know, another team you can't really count out because of the short season and the great pitching they have could be the New York Mets. I mean, you know, who do you see challenging the Braves in that division? Well, until you know, until somebody knocks the Braves off, they're the team to beat, right? Uh, the Nationals won the World Series, and they've got Scherzer, they've got Strasburg, and they've got Corbin. That's a pretty good big three. Right. Uh, losing Syndergaard really hurts the Mets. There's no doubt about that. But they've got DeGrom at the top of the rotation and Steven Matz. Uh, and they got Zach Wheeler, too. Or they lost Zach Wheeler to the Phillies, I should say. And they've got Nola, and they've got Eflin, and they've got... Jake Arrieta. I mean, Freddie Freeman said it really well a couple of uh, years ago. He said, you know, people don't give the National League East enough credit. You go to a road trip, a nine-game road trip, Philly, Washington, and New York, and you face Matt Stagram and uh, Syndergaard. Then you go to uh, Philadelphia, you face Arietta, you face Nolan, and maybe Zach Eflin. 
And then you go down to Washington, you get Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg. You come home with a one and eight road trip, and you could have played pretty well. Uh, that, that's that's an example of what it's going to be like. And not only that, now with the divisional play set up, uh, the Braves get to face the Red Sox, they get to face Toronto, they get to face the Yankees, yeah. and they get to face Tampa Bay. So uh, whoever wins the Eastern Seaboard divisions uh, is really going to earn it. Forty games against your division, twenty games against your American League opponents this year. Uh, the the Eastern divisions uh, teams are really going to have a uh, a real tough, uh, tough road to to get to postseason play. But again, they'll be battle tested when the games matter most. And I, again, as I said, I think the Braves are very confident about who they are, what they are, and who they, how they stack up. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. But as far as the National League East itself is concerned, uh, I think the Braves and Nationals are the two best teams. Uh, the the reason the Braves have won the division the last couple of years is they absolutely destroyed the Marlins. Marlins are going to be better. Uh, they're going to be a lot better. That's not going to be a cakewalk when you face that team anymore. They've added a lot of offense. There was some young pitching that's on the way. You know about the Nationals. You know about the Mets. Uh, and the Phillies, I think, are a wild card because I think how Joe Girardi handles his bullpen is going to make that Philly team a whole lot better than they've been the last couple of years. So, again, it's great talking baseball. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, as I said, the Braves are the team to beat division-wise. The Nationals have the ring. We'll see who comes out on top. Now, let me ask you this. At the end of July, usually I'm always looking forward to the last day in July because it's the trade deadline. This year they moved it up to August 31st, which means roughly not even 30 games are going to be played or just about 30 games when teams have to make a decision whether you're a buyer or you're a seller. You know, I don't know if there's going to be that much activity this year when it comes to the July trade deadline. Uh, we'll see. I guess it comes down to economics, quite obviously. I think uh, how legitimate do teams consider the 2020 season? I mean, look, it's a tough sell if you have a chance to win the whole thing and you don't make a deal. <laughs> look, the season's length is season's length. There have been shortened seasons before, and we don't really have asterisks next to those World Series championship clubs. Uh, I think you owe it to your fans to try to win. If it's a 110-game season or a 50-game season, you try to win and get to postseason play. Uh, the other wild card, quite obviously, is do you change your bubble if you bring in a player from another organization with the threat of COVID? I mean, that's 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 unfortunately the medical reality of, of how this is all going to work. I think there are just so many unknowns that it's going to be a fascinating season. How do managers manage the games? How uh, do teams manipulate the rosters? Service time. How do they start players' clock? Uh, you know, all of those things that we talk about over the course of a six-month baseball summer that's going to be compressed into, you know, six or seven, maybe eight really crazy frenetic weeks, which for baseball junkies like us is going to be really, really fun to talk about. I think it's going to be great for our nation to be talking about the sports, talk about potential trades, fast starts, great performances, all of that stuff to take our minds off of all that's uh, been crazy about the 2020 uh, calendar year. And as I've said to so many other people, whatever role I can play personally and our broadcast team can, can play generally – and uh, helping uh, people rally around something instead of against it, uh, I think that'd be a really, really good thing. And I guess depth, you know, we talk about depth, but this year more than ever because of COVID-19 and not knowing it, you know, if a player does contract it, they got to be out, what, 10 to 14 days. So I guess you could say depth could be more important this year than in any year past. Yeah, I think so, especially with a short season. But that's uh, that's something that should be rewarded, should it not? I mean, if you have built your organization right and you have a good, productive farm system, 
Uh, I think it's a great advantage. And the Braves obviously went through their three-year period where they weren't very good, built their farm system, patiently developed, so they would have waves and waves of young players getting to the major leagues and being productive. They've done that. And uh, as I said, they are in a position where they can reap the rewards and and, uh, hopefully utilize those young kids. Again, the question that's going to be asked of every general manager, and I don't know the answer to it is, when do you start clocks? How does the arbitration process work? Uh, you know, and how close are you to really legitimately uh, winning your division, getting to the crapshoot of the playoffs, and how legitimate a World Series contender do you feel you truly are? Well, we got 60 games to figure all that out, and that's why they pay the GMs the big bucks. They're the guys that have to make those decisions, and I can't wait to see uh, the reasoning behind whoever does whatever once uh, we get to October. Well, Chip, I want to thank you so very much for joining us tonight on Frankly Speaking Sports. I really, really appreciate it, and I enjoyed having you. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Good luck. Stay safe. We'll see you at the ballpark in a couple weeks. All right. Be safe as well. You too. Thank you. That was the great Chip Carey, the broadcaster of the Atlanta Braves. What another great, great interview here on Frankly Speaking Sports. Want to remind you all, we did leave a phone number up there. If you look at it now, you'll see it. It's 479-553-7008. That's 479-553-7008. Want to remind you all, you can go ahead and call in if you have any questions about Major League Baseball, NFL, hockey, basketball, whatever you like. Go ahead, call in or leave a message right in the message section here. We love the interaction and we'd love to have you involved. And I want to remind you all that tomorrow night and Thursday and Friday, we have incredible guests. And we're going to get into in a minute into some New England Patriot news. And I want to make sure we go over that. But just a reminder, tomorrow we will be on Crew Life, the Crew Life segment of our show. Um, You can join them. Uh, We'll make sure Rob has a link to go ahead and do that on our website, Frankly Speaking Sports. Tomorrow night is Buccaneer Wednesday. We dedicate that show specifically to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Unless there's some breaking news we have to talk about beforehand in the sports world. But tomorrow night, we have a very special guest on our second episode of Buccaneer Wednesday. It's going to be the great... Um, on-air personality from WDAE, and I emphasize personality. It's the great Pat Donovan will be joining us live on Buccaneer Wednesday on Crew Life. Then Thursday, just an amazing Thursday show. We couldn't be happier. On this 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues, we are going to have the president of the Negroes League Museum, Bob Kendrick will be joining us live on Frankly Speaking Sports this Thursday. Then Friday night, we keep the momentum up. We will be talking Tampa Bay Rays. That's right. With our good buddy from the Tampa Bay Rays, Neil Solons, will be joining us live on Frankly Speaking Sports. So three more great days this week of great interviews here on Frankly Speaking Sports. Once again... If you're listening to the show, leave a comment. Leave a comment. I want to know you're here. Want to say hello. Want to say hello to to Jeff uh, from uh, Sandusky, Ohio. Holy cow. Welcome to the show, Jeff. 
Um, he says he's not happy about the DH and the NL. You know, there's going to be rules we have to deal with this year, whether you like them or not. Some may be a test, some not. But, you know, there are things that are out of our control, and this is obviously one of them due to the COVID-19. So, you know, I've never been a big DL fan. All my fans know that. But, Jeff, you know, it's something we got to do. You know, we got to suck it up. And, you know, hopefully it helps the game. I'm interested in seeing how it does in the National League. You never know what might happen. We also got my good buddy Brock. I love this guy. From Douglasville, Georgia is on the line. Representing the state of Georgia. Brock, welcome to the show. If you guys have any questions, feel free to call in. Feel free to leave a message. I do want to go over this story that broke out of New England. It was kind of hidden because of the signing of Cam Newton. How convenient that was. But if you're not aware of it, the New England Patriots um, earlier this week was fined $1.1 million and a third-round pick in 2021 draft for a role in videotaping an opponent's sideline. Now, remember, this was the Cincinnati Bengals, okay? And this is the same team, okay, that was involved in Spygate in 2007, if you remember, versus the New York Jets when they were filming the sideline of their coaches. So this is the second time Bill Belichick and his team, at least that we know of, have been caught, uh, you know, videotaping, um the sidelines when they're not supposed to. Back in 2007, when they were caught in the Spygate scandal, they were fined a quarter million dollars and forfeited a first-round draft pick. So this time, it's a $1.1 million fine and a third-round pick in 2021. And, you know, I'm sorry, but this is the second time. You know, you got to stop letting these Boston teams get away with cheating. You've seen it with the Red Sox with the sign-stealing scandal. You've seen it numerous times with the New England Patriots, whether it's been Spygate, whether it's been this latest one versus the Bengals, whether it's been Deflategate, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh, we got a question from Brock from Douglasville, Georgia. You think the Bucks will get into trouble with spying with Brady here? You know, and I understand what you're saying because you wonder how many of these, you know, it's just like the cheating scandal in uh, Major League Baseball, you know, and, you know, that's been forgotten too, really. You know, remember in spring training we were talking about the Astros getting beamed all the time, this and that, what's going to happen to the Red Sox, and it's pretty much because of the COVID-19 and the you know, delay of the season has been put obviously on the back burner. So, you know, you wonder how much forgiveness is now going to be, uh, you know, inputted here. Um, I don't know if Brady's involved in this. I would think this is more on the technical side. I don't think any trouble will come to Tom Brady. No. To answer your question, Brock, I don't think Tom Brady's over there with the camera. So I don't think he's going to be, whereas with the Astros, you know, and the Red Sox and the baseball part of it, they were actually relaying things. But as far as Brady goes, he, I don't think he had anything to do with this. And I don't think any trouble, to answer your question, is going to um, 
you know, come down to him. And then, you know, uh, Jeff from, from Sandusky asked, how about Gronk? No, Gronk either. First of all, uh, it, this happened in, I believe, 2017. So Gronk was on the team with the Patriots, but neither of these players had anything, I think, to do with this. This was more done on the coaching side of things and the technical side with video guys going ahead and taping these things on the sideline. So I, to answer your question, both of you, neither one of them, Brady or Gronk, I would be very surprised if anything comes of it with those two guys. Um... And, you know, our buddy Rob from uh, Tampa, Florida says it's all, Bill, it's all Bill's fault. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something, Robin. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, don't realize this, but how many times with the Patriots has Bill Belichick or a member of Bill Belichick's staff been caught cheating? I mean, how many times? And it keeps getting away from it, keeps getting away with it, and it keeps getting away with it. And it's wrong. It's wrong. We just saw the second time um, Spygate 2, if you want to call it. Okay? You saw it with Deflategate. You know, you know, you can say what you want. Bill Belichick knows everything that's going on inside and out of the New England Patriots. He knows if video guys are videotaping. He's probably telling them to. He knows if somebody's deflating a football. There is no way, shape, or form anybody can look me in the eye and tell me differently. You know, so, you know, and you know, it's not like you have to cheat to win. They had a good enough team. And, you know, I don't believe in cheating. I really don't. Um, especially when it comes to doing it, you know, in the way that they've been doing it. You know, it's a little bit different, you know, and we're not going to get into the pet PEDs and stuff like that, where you still have to perform whether you're on the drugs or not. But when it comes to just pure out cheating, there's no place for that in any game. And, you know, it, it's just wrong. Everybody has an equal playing field, and everybody should be held to the same standards. And for some reason, the New England Patriots think they're above everyone. Bill Belichick thinks he's above everyone, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Enough is enough is enough. And love to get your opinions on it. All right, we got a question again. I would love to hear what you think about the Astros and the punishment they got. We'd love to hear our thoughts on it. Loving the show. Thank you so much, Rock. I'll tell you right now, and we talked months ago about this, and it's been a while, but I think it's completely bullcrap that nothing happened to the players on the Houston Astros. Now, you know, the players were involved. Here you have, and this is what goes on in, you know, I can go off on a tangent about how much I think the Major League Baseball is lacking in leadership when it comes to Robert Manfred as the commissioner. And he did that again with the Astros. Here the Astro players got off scot-free. The guys who actually cheated, who actually had the advantage of performing and doing these stunts, did not get punished. A.J. Hinch lost his job. The, uh, General manager, 
uh, lost his job. You know, you go to the uh, same thing with the um, Boston Red Sox. Not all the players were involved. Okay, but some of them were. There needs to be punishment. There needs to be strict punishment. And for you to go ahead and give them complete immunity, it's just total BS, and there's no other way to word it. You know, I love the game of baseball, but what they did was wrong. Whether it was Beltran, Atuve, uh, Bergman, whoever was involved needs to be punished. But for players not to be punished, you're telling other players, you can go ahead, you can cheat, and it's total bullcrap that nothing's going to happen to you as long as you promise to tell me what you did. It, it's, it's completely wrong. There's no place for it. And Brock, I'm not going to go off on a wild tangent here, but if you're asking me, I think it's total BS, and these players should have been punished for it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we got the uh, COVID-19 and, you know, nobody would wish that on anybody. And now the season was suspended till now. So, you know, because it would have been really interesting to see how, and it still will be to some degree, how these other players on other teams, especially the pitchers, respond to these guys when they come up to bat in the ballgame. So, you know, it's only a matter of time. Tomorrow is July 1st, so this month baseball will be starting, um, you know, on the 23rd and 24th. So we're looking forward to that, and, and we'll, see, we'll see what happens. So um, we'll definitely find out about that. So hopefully that answers your question, Brock. We still got about four minutes left in our show. You know... And, Jeff, I agree with you. You know, we did a show on Charlie Hustle and whether Pete should be in the Hall of Fame or not in the Hall of Fame. And it just bothers me that, you know, you talk about guys that are like Pete Rose who bet on baseball but didn't bet against his own team, and he's not in the Hall of Fame, yet not even the littlest of punishment with the Houston Astros or the Boston Red Sox. Also, you know... Think of it this way. You know, even the PED guys, the Barry Bonds, who I think was the greatest power hitter of all time. Um, you know, and that's not taken away from some of the great, you know, the Babe Ruth and the Hank Aarons and all that. But what i seen anyway while I was alive, Barry Bonds, the greatest home run hitter ever. And it just amazes me that they'll not, you know, they'll try to keep – a guy doing PEDs that still has to swing the bat, that still has to make eye contact, still has to have the ability, still have to have the swing, you know, the follow through, and not put him in to, the, you know, and not put them in the Hall of Fame, yet they won't penalize a guy who's purposely cheating and stealing signs from another team. How just ludicrous is that? I mean, it just doesn't make sense, but... Once again, it doesn't make sense, the bozo we have in the commissioner's office also, and the best thing that could happen to baseball is probably going to be getting rid of him. Um, we have a football question. How about Tua? You know, I think Tua, you know, they brought him in there for a reason. I don't know if they brought him in 
really, at least for the first couple of years, to be a starting quarterback. I think they're going to set their offensive plays to include him coming in and having the option of running or passing the ball, and they're going to use some different offense formations down there in Miami. Um, I think Tua has the great ability. We know about his arm. We know about his accuracy. You know, the big question is going to be his injury, and they're saying that he's healthy, but it should be interesting um, his rookie season. If I'm them, I don't start him as a quarterback during their rookie season. That's just me. I let him sit down. Um, I believe they still got Fitzpatrick there. And let him learn. I mean, no one better to teach him than Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has been around for a while, has played with several teams, just a great mentor right there. And I would at least give him a year on the bench learning from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So that, that's my opinion on Tua. Let me fix this up. Want to remind you all, tomorrow night, we will be on our Crew Life platform. We will ask our buddy Rob to go ahead and leave a link uh, available on Frankly Speaking Sports. That way, you know, people can go ahead and join Crew Life and watch the great show. Tomorrow night, it's going to be the great Pat Donovan. Pat Donovan is an on-air personality, radio host, does the um, show, The Goon Squad, actually, on WDAE Radio, 620 AM, 95.3 FM, out of Tampa Bay. He'll be joining us tomorrow night on Buccaneer Wednesday. I want to thank you all so very, very much for joining us this evening. It's been a great pleasure to have you joining us. And we'll see you again tomorrow night on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. Good night.